Here we're going to hear with the Mishnah on Sa'adi Bet, Amr Aleph. The Mishnah says, Hamotzi, ben binyamino, ben bismolo. Someone carries out whether it's in their right hand or in their left hand. Tochayko, in their lap. O al tefav, on their shoulders. Chayav. They are chayav. Shekain masa b'nei kehat. Because that is the way that b'nei kehat carry things. Now that really seems to be only modifying the issue of tefav. Because the b'nei kehat, b'katef isau, they carry it on their shoulders. Now in terms of yamin, small and chayk, Rashi says either orachara, that's a normal way for people to carry using their hands and their lap. The other thing he notes is b'shem Rav Yitzchak Bar Yehuda Matzati she'amar b'shem Rav Hai explains the name of Hai shem Fresh b'ashas Yerushalmi ufkudat Elazar ben Aron Hakohen that Elazar ben Aron Hakohen had specific jobs or items that he had to take when they moved the Mishkan and that was the Shemen Amaor the Torah Asamim the Minchat Atamid v'Shemen Amishcha how did he carry if this was on his persona if he had to do this himself. How do you do that? He says, well, Shemen Echad B'Yamin, Shemen Echad B'Smol, Baktoret B'Cheiko, V'Chavitin B'Katef. That gets us all of these different possibilities of carrying in one individual, but it's something that was in the Mishkan, and mimicking that which is the Mishkan is considered to be the Malacha. Remember Rabbeinu Tam from earlier in the Mesechto, that with regards to carrying... The malacha is called a malacha grua. Because it's a malacha grua, you have to find a paradigm within the mishkan in order to be mechayevit. So you see this every time they mention this idea of hotza'a over here, they say, well, masa b'negahat is this way. So you have to find something in the mishkan, which they are mimicking, and we'll see this in a second, that it's only true of things that are in the mishkan, but if it's not exactly like it was in the mishkan, it's not classified as hotza'a. Kila achar yado, if he does it, kila achar yad, I mean, not carrying it normally in his hand, somehow on the back of his hand, or in an unusual manner. Biraglo, does it on his foot, bifiv, in his mouth, ubemarpeko. And marpeko here is a machloket rashi and tosafot, which is found in a number of places in Shas. Rashi translates marpeko as aishila, which is your armpit. On the other hand, tosafot translates marpeko as koda, which is your elbow. The question is, did he stick it under his armpit and then carry it out, or did he stick it in between his forearm and his bicep and carry it out on his elbow? Their machloket runs here. It's in menachot as well, in the discussion of where to place the tefillin. The arm is known as, the hand is known as the yad. You have the kaneh, which is the forearm. The zroa, which is the part of the arm between the elbow and the shoulder. And the question of where the kiboret is, there were dayot that the kiboret, where the placement of tefillin was, was on your forearm, on the kane, where the forearm expands and the muscle of the forearm is. Obviously, Tosafot and even Rashi agree that the kiboret is above the elbow, is between the elbow and the armpit, the bicep, the front end of the bicep. But they argue about it here. They argue about it with regards to netilat yadayim. Umar has different locations where you do netilat yadayim for, in terms of chulin, truma, and kodoshim. Again, there they discuss where the marpeik is. And the last thing is, with regards to arachin, we had, if someone is makdish, their arm or their leg, how do they measure that? Where there it says you stick it into the water, and the amount of water that's displaced tells you what the size of the arm is. How far do you put your arm into the water? The Gemara there says, ad atzilav, until the atzil. Tosavot says that the atzil and marpeik are synonymous, and that means till your elbow. And so that's why Tosfat always translates all of these items as being the elbow. Again, others translate at seal to be your underarm, your armpit, rather than your elbow. But here Tosfat again argues with Rashi about where this marpeik or what the marpeik is. Bill is no in his ear, ubisaro in his hair, 
ubapundato, or in his belt, upialamato, when it's facing downward. Uben pindbato lechulako, between his belt or money belt and his clothing. Ubesfat chaluko, on the seam of his beged, of his clothing. Bimina'alo, in his shoe, besandalo, in his sandal. Patur, shlotzi, gedarchamotzim. All these are unusual ways to carry. It's not the normal way that one would carry something. And therefore, it's considered to be patur, minatora, asur, midirabanan. Someone who carries a load above ten tefachim, chayav shikain masa bnei kahat, because that was the way that bnei kahat carried. The Gemara is going to ask in a second, how do we know that? Right away, Rashi distinguishes here between carrying and throwing. And this is one of the examples about this idea of otzah being a malacha grua. Normally, any other malacha, if they did something like this, we would assume any manifestation of that type of carrying would be chayav. But here Rashi points out that we had a Gemara that says a person who throws Dalad Amot above Asarat Fachim, he is Patur, because he threw the object in a Makom Patur. Rashut Rabim only rises till Tent Fachim. Above Tent Fachim, there is no Rashut Rabim, it's called a Makom Patur. A person throws an object, Dalad Amot, and it remains above Tent Fachim, he's Patur of Al-Asur. But over here, we're saying that if he carries something above Tent Fachim, he is Chayav. Why? So Rashi distinguishes. He says there's a difference. The Masa B'nei Kahat was carrying above Ten Tvachim. They carried objects above Ten Tvachim. Therefore, for Hotza'ah, you're going to be Chayav for carrying above Ten Tvachim. They did not throw the objects above Ten Tvachim. Since they did not throw the objects above Ten Tvachim, you will not be Chayav for throwing above Ten Tvachim. So Masa B'nei Kahat Minalan, how do you know that B'nei Kahat carried their objects above Ten Tvachim? Because it says, Ala Mishkan, Vala Mizbeach, Saviv. It says the Mishkan, and the Mizbeach. Mekish, Mizbeach, the Mishkan. It's a Hekesh. The juxtaposition of the Mizbeach to the Mishkan teaches us something. Ma Mishkan Yudamot, just like the Mishkan was ten amot tall, which we'll see in a second, so too, the Mizbeach was ten amot tall. U Mishkan Gufemi Nolon. How do you know the Mishkan itself was ten amot high? Okay, when we're talking about the Mishkan, you're talking about the centerpiece that includes the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKodoshim. That's what the Torah calls the Mishkan. How do you know that that part of the Mishkan is Tent Vachim High? Well, the answer is because it's made up of the, the Krashim. And the Krashim are, Minalan Dechtiv Eser Amot Arach Each board was ten Amot tall, or ten Amot long. And being ten Amot long, the height of the Keresh reached up to ten amot, and that was the height of the Mishkan. So that's how we know the Mishkan itself was ten amot high, and therefore we know that the Mizbeach was also ten amot high. Even though in the Torah it says that the Mizbeach is only three amot high, it's actually a machlok at how high the Mizbeach was, whether it was three amot or ten amot. But according to the one who says it was ten amot high, what does it mean that it's three amot high? It's ulamala. From the walking area around the Mizbeach and above. That sovev is six amot up on the Mizbeach. And the Mizbeach then extends another three amot up. And then the karnot or another amah. That gets you to the ten amot of the Mizbeach. So when the Torah says that the Mizbeach is three amot tall, it's not telling you the total height of the Mizbeach. Rather, the height of Mizbeach from the Sovev, the walkway around it, and upward. So now we've already established, number one, that the Mizbeach is Ten Amotai, because the Mishkan was Ten Amotai. And then, Uchtiv, Vayifroset Oel ala Mishkan. That they put the Oel above the Mishkan. Vamarav, Moshe Rabbeinu Persho. That Moshe Rabbeinu himself spread it out. Mikan Atalameid, Govan Shel From here you can learn the height of the Vim. Taramot. 
that they were Tenamotai. The only way Moshe could have been Pores the Oel on top was if he was Tenamotai. Ugimire, and we learned the Chotuna, the Bidlei Bemotot, Tilta Miliel, Utre Tilta Militachat. One third of it is above, and two thirds are below. Ishtach Tahava Midlatuva, we see that it was way above Ten Tvachim. So let's go through all the component parts here of what we learned. Number one, we know that the Mishkan is Ten Amotai. We also know that Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who was Vayifroset the Oel, that he spread out the Oel, the coverings of the Mishkan, he himself did that. But the only way he could do that if he was tall enough to reach above the Mishkan. Well, if the Mishkan is Ten Amotai, Moshe Rabbeinu must be about Ten Amotai to reach up and to be Pores, the Ohel, above the Mishkan. Then the Gemara makes another extrapolation, which is, well, if Moshe Rabbeinu was Ten Amotai, it must be that all the Levim are Ten Amotai. Once we've established that Moshe Rabbeinu and the Levim were Ten Amotai, we also know that they carried the Mizbeach. They carried the Mizbeach. How they carried the Mizbeach? Bikateif Iso. They carried it on their shoulders. Now we just established that the Mizbeach was Tenamotai, just like the Mishkan. Well, if the Mishkan is Tenamotai, and the Mizbeach is Tenamotai, and they're carrying it on their shoulders, we just said before that when you carry a load on your shoulders, one-third of the load is above, and two-thirds of the load is below. That means that if they're carrying a Tenamotai Mizbeach on their shoulders... Now, it's interesting here, the Gabar does not distinguish between the fact that the Gemara just said they were Tenamot tall, and the fact that they're carrying it on their shoulders. To be honest, it really doesn't make much of a difference, because the differential is so big. So even if you say that their shoulders are nine amot off the ground, let's say, given that, that they're nine amot off the ground, if the Mizbech is Tenamot tall, then one-third of it is above, two-thirds is below. That means three, th- three and a third amot are above their shoulder, six and two-thirds amot are below their shoulders. Well, six and two-thirds amot, whether their shoulders are ten amot or nine amot off the ground, leaves a differential of a minimum of two and a third, and maybe even three and a third amot, which is way above ten tfachim. That means that the Mizbeach was being carried above ten tfachim. That's the proof of the Gemara that the Mizbeach was being moved above, above ten tfachim. Vibai Dema, and others say me'aron, that they learned it from the Aron itself, not from the Mizbeach. I mean, the rejection here is, that maybe the Levi'im aren't as tall as Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's what Rashi says over here, the Shem Levi'im lo Zayanamot, who says that they are Tenamot tall, maybe Levi'im are Stevenamot tall. How do they prove it now? They prove it from the carrying of the Aron. Because we know the height of the Aron is Ten Tfachim. So if you look at that in the context of the Levi'im, that we see that Yivai Demam Aron, Damar Mar Aron Tisha, the Aron is nine Tfachim high. Vikaporet, and the cover to the Aron is Tefach, Harikan, Yud, they're ten Tfachim. Ugmiri, and we learned to read the Chotuna, the Midlei, Bimotot, any load that's carried on poles, that's carried across the shoulders, Tiltum and Liel, one third of it is above the poles, Vitrei Tiltum Milara, and two thirds of it is below. Ishtakach, Demelamalo, Miyud, Havakoi. So then we realize that it's above ten tefachim because even and they here finally Rashi gets to something that's a realistic number. Rashi says afilu ein amot kamonu. Says even if the height of levim is not more than two, three amot, like us, are yudchet tefachim. That is eighteen tefachim. Rashi claims that the height of a normal person, a normal individual, is three amot. What's not clear from Rashi again here is whether you're talking about to your head or is he talking to your shoulders. Because that will make a big difference, assuming that the normal height of an individual is roughly 67 inches or 68 inches, then 
when you're talking about Gimel Amot, that would give you an idea of what the type of size of Amah that we're talking about. I mean, according to Rashi, you're dealing with probably roughly 22-inch Amah, 23-inch Amah, if you think the height of an individual is three Amot. On the other hand, Tosafot points out over here that the three Amot only measures to the shoulder. There's more to get to the head. So it's roughly, a person is roughly three and a half Amot. If you do that, then you're dealing roughly with 18, 19 inch amot, which is probably, it makes a lot of sense. But you see here that they're dealing with what the normal heights of individuals are. So let's assume like Rashi that we're talking about the three amot. You're talking about three amot off the ground, which is the equivalent of 18 tfachim. If they're carrying the aron, which is 10 tfachim tall, and we just said that a third of it is above their shoulders, and two thirds is below. That means two and a third tfachim are above. Six and two-thirds of the Tvachim, I mean three and a third of the Tvachim are above. Six and two-thirds of the Tvachim are below. If I take them, they're 18 Tvachim high, and I subtract six and two-thirds from that, I'm left with 11 and a third Tvachim off the ground, that the Aron is off the ground. If the Aron's off the ground, 11 and a third Tvachim, we know that the Aron's been carried above 10 Tvachim. Now it will matter here, according to Rashi, if Rashi is saying that three Amod is the height of the individual, then it won't work. It'd be a very close call. I don't know if it would be 10 Tvachim off the ground. So it seems that Rashi must be saying that the three Amot is the shoulder level. And that's the way Tosafot learns over here, that when we talk about the height of an individual being three Amot, that is only until their shoulders, not until the top of their head. He gives a number of proofs to that. One is the Kuchim, catacombs that they dug into the rock to bury people. The size of them was one Amot wide by four Amot deep. So four Amot deep is doing loud burial of someone who is three Amot up to their shoulders plus their head plus the Makom Aron, he calls it. The placement of the Aron in there, it takes up space as well. So because of that, you have to make it four Amot wide. But that shows that the individual is above three Amot. What about the mikveh? The Gemara says, in order an individual go into mikveh, a minimum size mikveh is one amah by one amah by three amot high. Well, if it's three amot high, how does the person get in there? If his body until his shoulders is three amot, how does he get his head in there? Tosu does not say that he bends his head down. What he says is that when he enters into the mikveh, he displaces water. He himself, when his body enters the water, the water is going to rise because of the displacement of his body. And that will cause it to rise above his head in order to utilize the mikveh. But because of that, it also proves that the height of an individual is above three and below four, somewhere in between the three and the four amot height. And you see that Rashi is claiming that his own height is somewhere around three amot. Again, it sounds like that's up to his shoulders. So here we have the proof that they carried these items above ten tfachim. The Gemara says, Why didn't you learn from Moshe? Why did you move on to the second proof? What was wrong with learning from Moshe? Dilma Moshe shiny. Maybe Moshe was different. I mean, that Moshe was of unusual height. And that doesn't mean that the rest of the Levim were the same height. Damamar. Shechina only rests, brings its presence onto an individual who is wise, strong, wealthy, and tall. And that the Gemara here views the Ashwata Shechina, that the physical appearance of the individual, as well as all the other character traits, have to be exemplary and exceptional. Not just, I'm sorry, in their behavior, but every part of the part and parcel of them, whether it is wisdom, strength, uh, wealth, in order to be the quote-unquote representative of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, we wanted to reflect in some way the per- perfect person, perfect Adam. Obviously, it never works out perfectly. But here, Moshe Rabbeinu, the Gemara claims, might have been a Balkoma, might have been someone of height, but that's not necessarily true of the remainder of the Levim. Amrav Mishum Rabbi Chia. Amotzi Masui B'Shabbat Arushol Chayav Chatat. 
Someone who carries a load on their head on Shabbat is chayav chatat shikain and she hutzal usinkain. Because in this area of hutzal, that's what they do. Why are they koveya? Why are they determinant in making this carrying when they're not the majority of the world? That's one location where they carry on their heads. If you want to say the way it should have been phrased is this. Someone who is from this location, so he will be chayav, because in that city, that's what they do. Well, that city is not the majority of the world. Let's look at the majority of the world. The majority of the world does not carry that way. If you're going to say it, phrase it this way. Someone who carries on their head is patur. What are you going to claim? That is a normal way to carry because the Anshei Hutzal do this. We nullify their position because the most of the world does not carry on their head. Now this is very interesting and somewhat difficult. Well, so what? That the rest of the world doesn't carry that way. But if they do carry that way, why doesn't that determine, at least for their city, that that is the case? So Tosafot over here says, I can understand when you're talking about a single individual, when you're talking about a number of people, and you say, that we nullify their view. But if you're talking about an entire city of people that act in this manner, then why should it be Why do we nullify or disregard the way that they carry? So Tosafot over here says that there is a difference between whether it's individuals, regions, areas, or cities, or medinot. That will make a difference in determining whether it's koveya or not koveya. That a person is certainly not enough to be koveya, and a city also may not be enough to koveya. And then he says, for instance, in Arabia, that they do this, and therefore it's considered to be kilayim or problematic. He says, the reason the people in Arabia keep thorns in their fields is because their camels eat it. So nobody else owns camels. But if you owned camels, you would mimic their behavior. You would do what they do. This place, Beit Nishaya, used to be sochet. They used to squeeze the rimonim for juice because they had so many rimonim. But that was not normal behavior. But since it's one individual, we're not going to extrapolate from that individual and say, well, if everybody owns Rimonim, they're going to squeeze it. One person can never be Koveya. Large cities can be Koveya if in other places were they in the same circumstances they would act in a similar manner. Then we will say that that is Koveya and that has impact. Over here, B'nai Hutzal carry on their head. Everybody else could carry on their head, then they don't. So since they don't, we say B'tela Datan. That's not the normal way to carry and it's not considered to be determinant in establishing carrying on the head as being something normal. Right, next Mishnah. Someone who intended to carry out with the object in front of them, and it moved to behind them, patur. If he carried out behind him, and it came in front of him, in that case he is, they say, truthfully they said, and the will say that Be'emet means Allah is Cain, Aisha a woman who's wearing, the modern day word Hebrew is an apron. Over here, Rashi describes it as being some sort of knickers or leggings, something that they wore. She wore it litzniyut. So those items were around her waist, but it rotated. It was not stationary around her waist. Whether it's in front of her or behind her, it's chayev, 
The natural way of this apron or knickers, whatever they are, was to move or to twist around her waist. It didn't stay stationary. It wasn't always in the same place, but moved around. Because of that, if it moves to the front or the back, that's an expectation that is normal. That's something that will happen. So it's true about those that are the messengers of the king. So Rashi says, when they give over to the Ratzim, to the messengers, they are Chayav, even if their Machshava was not Kayim. Why was their Machshava not Kayim? So Rashi brings from his Rebbeim something that he says, He keeps using this throughout this sugya, but he says, I have a very grave difficulty with this, that there were many messengers, and the king said, give it to so-and-so, the messenger. And instead they gave it to someone else. And someone else took it, the other messenger took it. So even though his machshava wasn't carried out, because the messenger that he intended wasn't the one they chose, nevertheless it's considered to be carrying, because that happens. Sometimes when the messengers aren't available, they give it to someone else. But that doesn't sound like what the mission is speaking about. And the more likely scenario was that the messengers, akin to the messengers today on the bikes, that have like a tube or a strap around their shoulder when they carry things, or they have a bag, and it moves. It moves around. It moves the back to the front. It swings around, around their arm, around their shoulder. It moves around. And because of that, it's similar to what we're talking about with regards to the woman. The woman who wears this apron of sorts that moves around her waist, so too these messengers, when they're carrying the things, they're not so careful about whether it's in front or back of them, but because it's strapped around them, and it moves when they are running. So now Gemara says, What's the difference between if it's in front of him and then it moves to the back of the why? Because what he intended to do was not carried out. He intended to carry it in front of him. Instead, he carried it out and it was behind him. So the Acharav of Olofanav, if he's carrying something that's behind him, and then it moved to in front of him, Nami, David over there also. He intended for it to be behind him. Instead, it came up in front of him. So if that's the case, he should be putur in that case as well. Rabbalazar's solution to the problem is say that there are two authors to the Mishnah, and each author of the Mishnah would believe that their position is correct in both cases. That means the one who says patur over here would say patur whether it moved from the front to the back or the back to the front. And the one who says chayav would say chayav both from moving from the front to the back and the back to the front. That's Rabbalazar's solution. Amaravo, my kushya. Rabbalazar says, why can't you reconcile these two cases? Dilma. I'll explain to you why your patur, when it was in front of you, and moved to behind you. He intended to carry it in front of him where he had visibility on the object, and to watch, he was able to hold on to it carefully. In the end, he ended up with a lesser shmira because it was behind him. It's the difference between carrying something in your front pocket and your back pocket. So he intended to be in his front pocket, instead it ended up in its back pocket. So the shmira was degraded by it moving to the back. If that's the case, his machshava wasn't carried out. On the other hand, if he intended for it to be in his back, and it came in front of him, he had intended for a lesser shmira, and then he ended up with a better shmira. It's the equivalent of moving it from your back pocket to your front pocket. It's better off being in the front pocket than it is in the back pocket. So because of that, you are chayav because you ended up with a better situation than you intended. So So then what's the problem with the Mishnah? The problem with the Mishnah is diyuka de matnitan. The diyuk that you would make out of the Mishnah is a kasho, is a problem. Why? Because a mitkaven lo tzilufanav ovalolacharav. Our Mishnah says if you intended to carry it out in front of you, in your front, and it moved to your back, patur. Ha! From that you can infer... If he intended to carry it behind him, and that's what happened, chayav, because nothing changed. 
It was, that was his intent originally, and he carried it out with his intent. That would be from the ratio of the Mishnah. But, in the Seifa, he must Seifa, if it was behind him, and it moved forward, then he's Chayab, because he upgraded the Shmirah. Hal Achrav, what you be midayek or infer from that is, if he intended for behind him, Uvalo Achrav, and it was behind him, Patur, that it would remain Patur. So the problem is the inference from the two pieces of the Mishnah end up with the opposite results. One says that if you intended to carry behind you, and you did carry behind you, you are Chayav, and the other one says Patur. On that we say, Amr Abelazar, Davro, Mishishanazu, Lo Shanazu. That answer that there are two authors to the Mishnah is because of this inference that derives from the Mishnah. Amravashi, my kushya. Why does that have to be a problem? Dilma lo mibayi kamar. The Mishnah is saying, you don't need to tell me this, not only this, but this, which is, lo mibayi lacharav uvalacharav. You don't have to tell me in a case where he intended it for it to be behind him. And it did turn out to be behind him, there is Chayav for sure, because his intent was carried out. Even if it started out behind him, and it moved to in front of him, there, it's Trichale. We need you to tell us that that is Chayav. The mission said it's obvious that if you intended it for me in his back pocket or behind him. And that's where it ended up, that he's Chayav, because everything he intended came true. So why should there be any reason not to make him Chayav? But what would you think in a case where he intended to have it behind him and it moves in front of him? There, we would need you to tell me this. I would think since his intent was not carried out and you need Malachet Machshevet on Shabbat, there he won't be Chayav. That's what it teaches us. That which we saw from Ravel before. That's an upgrade in Shmirah to Chayav. So that's what the Mishnah is teaching you. That even if your intent is not carried out, but it ends up better than you intended, over there you're still chayav. Because when you intend for something, you intend that to be the minimum standard. You don't mean that to be the maximum standard. And therefore, if that was your minimum standard, and that's what you carried out, yes, you're chayav. If that's your minimum standard, then you upgraded and got a better standard than that. You ended up in front of you, certainly there you're going to be chayav. Umar says, maybe the case of achorav, v'olacharav, t'nahi, is really a makhloket t'nahim. If you intended to carry it behind you, and that's what happened, that is a machlokat naim. Detanya, have a brayta. Hamutzi maot bepundato. Someone who takes out money in his belt, the money belt, or pialamalo, and the pouch or the belt is facing upward, meaning the opening is upward. Chayav. Everybody agrees there, you're chayav, because that's a normal way to carry items. Pialamato. On the other hand, if its mouth or its opening is facing down, Rabbi Yehuda mechayev v'chachamim potrim. Rabbi Yehuda says you're chayev, v'chachamim say you're potur. Amalayan Rabbi Yehuda, iatem modim. Don't you agree with me? Belacharav v'vol acharav shu chayev. That if he carried it out when it was behind him, intended it for me behind him, that he is chayev. So over there you see, even though that's not the best way to carry it, it's not the highest standard of. Shmirah, that you could do. Nevertheless, if that's the way he carries it out, it's considered to be carrying. So let's extrapolate here and they say the same thing. Most people, you're right, wouldn't put their money in the belt when its opening is facing down. But nevertheless, if he did do it that way, and that's his intent, he should be chayav for carrying out his intent. So Amrulo and Dechachamim respond to Rabbi Yudah and say, Don't you agree? He does it in an unusual way. On his hand or on his foot. That he's patur. Because that's not the normal way of carrying. So too, if the money belt is turned upside down, that's not a normal way of carrying. Therefore, you should be patur. So I brought a proof to my position. And they brought a proof to their position. 
I don't have a way to undermine their proof. And they didn't find a way to upend or undermine my proof. And therefore, we're stuck. Our remains. By the fact that Rabbi Yehuda presents his case to the Chachamim, don't you agree with me? Well, if he says, don't you agree with me, it means that they don't agree with him. And what is that? That the Rabbanan say, you are Padur. The way you're reading that Braita, the Gamilei. And when they say to him, that don't you agree, Rabbi Yehuda? Does that mean Rabbi Yehuda is really Mechayev? Don't we have a Braita that says, Everybody agrees, when you carry it on an unusual manner, on the, on the back of your hand, or if you carry it on your foot, that everybody agrees that's patur, because that's considered to be an unusual manner to carry. And even Rabbi Yehuda agrees that way. So the way you're trying to read the Braita does not read properly, because it would imply from the Braita that Rabbi Yehuda thinks you're chayav in that case. And that's just not true. Ella, what you must conclude is, l'acharav, uvalo l'acharav, divrei akol chayav. Everybody agrees if he intended to carry it behind him, or in his back pocket. And that's what happened. He is chayav. Everybody agrees if you carry it on the back of his hand, if he carries it on his foot, that everybody agrees that's patur, because that's an unusual way to carry items. Where's their argument? When you have the money belt with its opening facing downward. Rabbi Yehuda compares that to the case of where he intended to carry it behind him, and that's what turned out. You're right, it's not the best way to carry it, it's not... The best shmirah for the object, but nevertheless, if that's what he wants, then it works. So, so over here by the pundato, that's not the normal way to weigh the belt. But nevertheless, if he wore the belt with its mouth facing down, maybe it's sealed up, maybe it has a zipper on it, but it could open. Nevertheless, if he intended to do that, that's good enough to make him chayav, according to Rabbi Yehuda. And the say, no, that is so unusual, that is so backwards a way to carry your money, that that's equivalent to carrying it on the back of your hand or on your foot. It's considered to be unusual, and you would be patur in that case. So the conclusion of the Gemara is, that if someone intends to carry acharav behind him, and that's what turns out to happen, he puts it in his back pocket, and that's the way he carries it out, then he is chayav. Everybody agrees to that. The difference between the Abiyuda and the Chachamim is talking about the money belt that is facing downward, its mouth facing downward. Abiyuda says that's similar to wearing something on your back or in your back pocket. Chachamim say no, that's similar to carrying it in an unusual manner. That's why they come up with their difference in opinion. But the bright before where Abiyuda and the Chachamim were bringing proofs to their positions, that was not indicating that the Chachamim disagreed with Abiyuda in that case. And it doesn't mean Abiyuda disagrees with the Chachamim in the proofs that they brought. They agree in the proofs that they brought. But the question is, which proof is the right one to equate to the money belt? Okay, now the Gemara continues. It says, Be'met amru. That, truthfully, that's what they said. Tana, kol emet, Anytime you see in the Mishnah the word emet, the halacha is that way. It's coming to establish the halacha and to say, this is the definitive halacha. Gemara in other places will say, when the Mishnah says that the halacha is this way, we're not governed by what the Mishnah says in terms of halacha, because the Gemara is who paskins halacha. You don't pass an aloha from a Mishnah. But over here, the Gemara says, Emet means that the aloha is this way. So too are those messengers that take the messages. Because the scribes of the king do this. Now what does that mean that the scribes of the king do this? So you have a number of interpretations. The Oruch, for instance, says, Perish lavlar, what a lavlar is sofrei ha melech sofrei machut, the scribes of the king. Machogrim sinar, 
They wear aprons. They wear things. I mean, the scribes in their day worked with ink that got all over the place and messy. So just like the women, they wore some sort of apron around them, whether it's around their lap or around their waist, to, uh, to protect themselves from the ink. So, And after they write things or blank notes, they put into their loins. They put over there. Sometimes the apron or the items are in the front, sometimes they're in the back. So based on that, what the Orch is saying is that's the equivalent of what the Isha does. Now, from the Aruch, it sounds like that that is the definition of the Mikabli Pitkin in our Mishnah. The Mikabli Pitkin in our Mishnah are the Sofre Amelech that carry the messages. That's one. Rashi says, That sometimes they're looking for this person, they can't find him, so they give it to someone else. Rashi continues with the explanation that he had from his Rebbeim, that here the difference or the problem is not that the apron or something on them changes, it's the individual themselves. He thought he was going to get this scribe, or he thought he was going to get this messenger. Turns out he's not available, and they get someone else. So even though his intent, or the king's intent, was for this individual, when he's not around, they found someone else that's still carrying out the orders of the king, and it's considered to be carrying, or whatever they're doing wrong here, is considered to be a carrying out of the machshava. That's the way Rashi learns it, continuing the theme that is Rebbeim said. Tosavot over here says something which makes a lot of sense, which is that the Gemara over here is not defining what Mikabli Pitkin are. The Mishnah is a case of Mikabli Pitkin. The Mishnah mentions over here is a case similar by Pitkin that is similar to the way that an Isha wears her apron. And that's why the Gemara brought it over here. There's a person who's appointed by the king that carries around the Messages of the king, Leida, Minyan Gibrotav, Chayalav, to know how many people are in his army, Obeito Tzuatav, what's in the treasury, Nosimo Tan Bikisayim, they put in their pockets, that's Luim Bezoreim, they're around their waist. Votan Kisin Chosrim Pamim Lifneim Abim Lachem, and those belts or those packs move around their body. Vavay Mamash Dumia De Sinar, very similar to the woman's Sinar, Shu Chozer. The Tanakam of Yehuda lo chashiv lei chozer. The Tanakam of Yehuda doesn't consider that to move around. V'had the mighty Gemara Tana shekain l'averei amalchuto simkain klomar shechozer debeinyan zeh mayri reisha because they're trying to equate it or bring you a case that's similar to what was in the reisha. So it's not clear whether they're really defining what the mekabli pitkin are. Could be that that's what the definition mekabli pitkin is. But I think the easy way to read it is that the Gemara is giving you another example that's in the similar vein as to that which is with the woman. The woman's sinar, what's similar with regards to someone who works with Bitkin, that's the lavlare machut. These individuals, the scribes of the king, they track, they're really like the historians of the king, they keep track of all of his numbers, all of his things that are going on. The accountants, I don't know exactly what you want to call them, but they carry around this Bitkin. But they do it in a way that is similar to the woman's sinar. And that is why the Gemara is saying that this Tana, we added in this item, that they do it in a similar manner. Okay, Mishnah, Amutzi Kikar, the Rishut Rabim. Someone who carries out a loaf of bread into the Rishut Rabim, Chayav. If two people carry out that loaf of bread, they are Patur. If one of them alone couldn't have carried out the bread, it's one of your foot-long submarines, or one of these very long pieces of bread, French bread that extends over a large area. You need two people to carry out the French bread. So then, two people take it out, because they couldn't have done it alone. 
Rabbi Shimon Poter, Rabbi Shimon says you're still Poter, what we are now bumping into or entering into the world is what we call Shnayim Shasu. Two people will accomplish something. When two people do something over here, we're going to see in a second, it depends. Could they have done it alone? Or are they required to do that? And that's going to end up having a differing outcome in Allahu. Amrav Yudamarav, Amrilam Rabaiv, Amrilava Matnita, some say we have it in a Braita, Tana, Zeyachol, Vizeyachol. If they both individually could have done the malacha without each other, Rabbi Meir Mechayev, Rabbi Yudah Rabbi Shimon Potrim, if they individually could have done the malacha and then they do it together, Rabbi Meir says you're chayav, Rabbi Yudah Rabbi Shimon say you're patur. Zeyno yachol v'zeyno yachol. This one couldn't do it alone, and this one couldn't do it alone. Then, Rabbi Yudah Rabbi Meir Mechayevim, Rabbi Yudah Rabbi Meir Mechayev, Rabbi Shimon is poter. Zeyachol v'zeyno yachol. This one could do it, and this one could not do it alone. Dibri yachol chayav. Everybody agrees you're chayav. Which one is chayav over here is not clear. Whether it's the yachol or eno yachol, the Gemara will discuss that later. Now, as far as the bright is concerned, it's clear who the author of our Mishnah is. The author of our Mishnah is Rabbi Yehuda. Because in the bright, Rabbi Yehuda's opinion is that if they are both capable of doing it and they do it together, they are patur, like our Mishnah. And in our Mishnah it says, if they both cannot do it alone and they do it together, they're chayav, like the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. And we see that our Mishnah says Rabbi Shimon Puter, like the Shittato in the Breitah, that Rabbi Shimon's Puter in all of these cases. So Rabbi Meir is Michayev in all the cases. Rabbi Shimon is Puter in all the cases. And yet Rabbi Yehuda is the Shittah Benayim. It's in between Shittah who says that if they are both capable of doing it, they are patur. If they're both incapable of doing it, they are chayav, and he therefore is the Tanakama, the author of our Mishnah. Tanya Yachiva Braita that supports this. Amotziki Karlus Shutarabim. Someone takes out a loaf of bread. Shutarabim Chayav. Hotzio Shnayim. Two people take it out. Rabbi Meir Mechayev. Rabbi Yehuda Meir. Im Lo Yachol Echad Hotzio Hotzio Shnayim. If one of them couldn't take it out and they both took it out, Chayavim. Vim Lav. If they both could have taken it out individually and they take it out together. Piturim, Rabbi Shimon Poter, and Rabbi Shimon is Poter in all of the cases. Nahani Mile. Where do we know this from? That Shnaim Shasua, the two people that joined together to do a single malacha that they could have done individually, that they are Pturim. It comes from the Pasuk by the Korban HaChatat, the Tan Rabbanan, Basota, when you do the sin, when you violate the sin. Haoset Kula, Veloaset Miksata. Someone who does all of the malacha, but not a portion of the malacha. You only held culpable when you were asota, when you've done everything that there is to do. If someone else is doing part of what there is to do, then you are not chayav. Ketzad. Shnaim shayuk zim b'malgez. Two people are holding a malgez. Look in the Mishorah, Tashas over here, he says that's perish mazleg. It's a swapping of the letters to mean a fork. Rashi describes it as a pitchfork. So it's a pitchfork, v'logzim, to sweep up the corn, to flip over the shibalim of the corn. So two people are grabbing this pitchfork to do the work. Bikarkar, vishoftim. Two people grab the shuttle, vishoftim, and they use that to press down the loom, to press down that which has already been stitched. Bikulmos, two people hold on to a quill, vikotvim, and they write. Bikane, two people hold on to a cane or a staff, v'otziol, vishutabim, and take it out of vishutabim. Yochu yei chayavim, you would think they'd be chayavim. Talmud Omer, ba'asuta. When you do it, all of it. Hased kulav, lo etzim miktzata. In each of these cases, the two people are contributing a portion of the malacha to be done. No individual is doing the malacha themselves, and therefore they will not be culpable, they will not be chayav achatat. On the other hand, bigul shel dvela. I'm talking about a circle of oppressed figs. Be'otziol v'rishutar bim. Be'korah, you're talking about a beam. And they took it out into the public domain. If it was so big, the pressed figs were so big or heavy, or the board was so big or heavy, that individually they couldn't carry it out. 
Yotziushnaim, and then they carry it out together. Chayavim, they are chayavim lav, turim, if not, they are patur. Rabbi Shimon Omer, even if each individual by themselves couldn't do it, turim, they still are patur. Because that's why it says, basuta. Yechid shasa chayav. Shnaim sasua turim. So Rabbi Shimon's drush on the puzzle is slightly different. Before we said basuta means you have to do the entire malacha, not a portion of the malacha. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, that means you have to do the entirety of what you're capable of doing in order to be chayav. Your capability of what you can do is either in a case where you can do the whole malacha, you must do the whole malacha. In a case where you still need the other individual, you can only do half. If you did half, you did everything you could do. Rabbi Shimon, on the other hand, Darshan's basuta means an individual must do it, not two individuals. And so therefore, Rabbi Shimon, it doesn't matter whether you could accomplish this alone or not. Even if you couldn't accomplish this alone, you're only chayav for malacha if an individual does it, not when two individuals do it. So that's the difference in terms of their drasha of the psukim. But the Gemara tomorrow, and we'll continue with this tomorrow, says, but my What exactly are they arguing about? What is the premise of their machloket? Okay, we'll stop over here.